0: Welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman, and I'm here with Linda Carlisle on Friday, June 30th, 2023. Here's the day's top news. In this episode, we will talk about a fire at the iconic Tiffany & Co. jewelry store in New York City, protesters storming the Swedish embassy in Baghdad, Iraq, during a Quran-burning protest, the heat stress experienced by over 2,000 people during the Hajj pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia, the call for an arms embargo and international force to combat gang violence in Haiti, and the veracity of a key document in a major LGBTQ plus rights case before the U.S. Supreme Court. Story number one. A fire broke out at the iconic Tiffany & Co. jewelry store in New York City, as reported by the BBC. The New York Fire Department issued an all-hands alert for the incident at the 10-story building. The fire started in a utility vault in the basement before the store opened to customers. The blaze has been extinguished, and the store is expected to reopen later after inspection by the fire marshal. Two people were transported to the hospital. The building, which featured in the film Breakfast at Tiffany's, recently underwent renovations and reopened in April. Goodness, Linda, it's quite unsettling to hear about the fire at Tiffany's in New York, especially considering the store's iconic status. The place is not just a store, it's a piece of history, a piece of New York. It's the backdrop to breakfast at Tiffany's, and a symbol of glamour and elegance.
1: Absolutely, Mark. It's a stark reminder of how vulnerable our cultural heritage can be. These iconic structures, whether they're businesses, museums, or landmarks, they're part of our collective memory. They shape our identity and give us a sense of continuity, don't they?
0: Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's like when Notre Dame caught fire back in 2019. The world watched in horror as the flames consumed parts of the centuries-old cathedral. It wasn't just about the building itself, but what it represented. A symbol of Paris, an embodiment of history, art, and spirituality.
1: That's a great point, Mark. The Notre Dame fire was indeed a cultural tragedy. It's interesting to consider how these incidents prompt us to reflect on the impermanence of our material heritage. Despite our best efforts to preserve these structures, they are still susceptible to unforeseen disasters.
0: True, Linda. And it's not just about preserving the physical structure. It's also about safeguarding the intangible heritage associated with it. The memories, the stories, the traditions. That's something we really need to think about, especially in this age of rapid technological advancement and urbanization.
1: Indeed, Mark. It's a delicate balance to maintain. On one hand, we have the need for progress and innovation, and on the other, the desire to preserve our cultural heritage. It's a conversation that needs to be had, and one that requires thoughtful deliberation and action.
0: Absolutely, Linda. And it's not just about the big, iconic structures. Every city, every town has its own unique heritage that needs preserving. We all have a role to play in that, don't we?
1: You're right, Mark. It's a collective responsibility. And it's not just about reacting when disaster strikes. It's about proactive preservation and protection. It's about valuing our cultural heritage and understanding the role it plays in our society. It's a lesson we can all take from the Tiffany's incident.
0: Story number two. Protesters stormed the Swedish embassy in Baghdad, Iraq, after a Quran was burned during a protest in Sweden. The Quran burning was condemned by Muslim-majority countries and a crowd gathered outside the embassy in response to a powerful cleric's call for a protest. Videos on social media showed protesters entering the embassy briefly before leaving when security forces arrived. The incident has sparked anger in other Muslim-majority nations, including Turkey, which has criticized Sweden's actions and threatened its potential NATO membership. According to the BBC, Sweden's prime minister called the Quran burning legal but inappropriate. Will you look at this, Linda? The Quran burning incident in Sweden has sparked quite a reaction globally. It's a classic example of the tension between freedom of speech and respect for cultural and religious diversity. What's your take on this?
1: Well, Mark, it's indeed a complex issue. On one hand, we have Sweden's laws protecting freedom of speech, even when it's offensive to some. On the other hand, we have Muslim-majority countries like Turkey, Iraq, Iran, and Saudi Arabia, reacting strongly against what they perceive as a blatant disrespect to their religion.
0: Yeah, it's a delicate balance, isn't it? And this isn't the first time we've seen such incidents causing international friction. Remember the Danish cartoons controversy?
1: Absolutely, Mark. Historical precedents like that one show us that the line between freedom of expression and respect for religious beliefs can often blur. In such situations, it's crucial to consider the cultural importance of religious texts in these societies. For them, it's not just a book, but a sacred symbol of their faith.
0: Right. And it's not just about religion, is it? I mean, geopolitical implications also come into play here. How does that factor into this, Linda?
1: Great point, Mark. Countries' responses to such incidents are often influenced by their geopolitical positions. For instance, Turkey's reaction could be seen in the context of its ongoing bid to join the EU, which Sweden is a part of. So it's not just about the act itself, but also about the larger political dynamics at play.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a tricky situation, and it's not just about handling the current outrage, but also about preventing such incidents in the future. What role do you think diplomatic relations play in this, Linda?
1: Diplomatic relations are key, Mark. They provide a platform for dialogue and negotiation, which are crucial in resolving such conflicts. However, they should not be used to suppress freedom of speech or to justify acts of disrespect towards other cultures. It's a fine line, but one that needs to be tread carefully.
0: Story number three. More than 2,000 people suffered from heat stress during the Hajj pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia as temperatures reached 48C, 118F, as reported by The Guardian. The pilgrimage, which attracted over 1.8 million Muslim worshippers, took place mostly outdoors in the Saudi desert summer. Many elderly individuals participated in the pilgrimage after the maximum age limit was removed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Saudi officials reported 1,700 cases of heat stress on Thursday, in addition to 287 cases reported earlier. While the officials did not provide a death toll, at least 230 people, mostly from Indonesia, died during the pilgrimage, with causes of death ranging from heart and respiratory ailments to heat-related issues. The extreme temperatures posed a significant challenge during this year's hajj, prompting the deployment of thousands of paramedics and the establishment of field hospitals. Why? It's just staggering, isn't it? Over 2,000 people suffering from heat stress during the Hajj pilgrimage. Temperatures soaring to 48 degrees Celsius. That's 118 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a testament to the determination and faith of these pilgrims, braving such extreme conditions for their spiritual journey. But it's also a clear and alarming signal, of how climate change is impacting our world and our traditions.
1: Absolutely, Mark. It's a stark reminder of how climate change is not just about melting ice caps and rising sea levels. It's affecting people's lives in very real and immediate ways. For these pilgrims, the Hajj is a -a once-in-a-lifetime spiritual journey, a pillar of their faith. It's heartbreaking to think that this sacred tradition is now fraught with such danger due to rising temperatures.
0: Right you are, Linda. And it's not just the physical toll, but the emotional one as well. Imagine preparing for this significant journey, only to be confronted with such harsh conditions. But, you know, it's commendable how Saudi officials are responding to the situation. They've recorded about 1,700 heat stress cases, set up field hospitals, and dispatched thousands of paramedics. It's a mammoth task, dealing with such a large influx of people in such extreme conditions.
1: Indeed, Mark. The response has been commendable, but it also raises questions about how sustainable this is in the long run. With climate change predictions suggesting even higher temperatures in the future, we need to think about how we can adapt our practices and traditions. Perhaps the scheduling of the Hajj could be reconsidered, or more infrastructure could be developed to provide shade and cooling for the pilgrims. There's a lot to think about.
0: Absolutely, Linda. Adaptation is key. And it's not just about the Hajj, right? This is a global issue. How many other traditions and cultural practices around the world are being threatened by climate change? We need to start having serious conversations about how we can preserve these traditions while also ensuring the safety and well-being of the people participating in them.
1: You've hit the nail on the head, Mark. This is a complex intersection of faith, climate change, and human endurance. It's about finding a balance between preserving cultural and religious practices and adapting to the realities of our changing world. It's not an easy task, but it's one that we must undertake if we want to safeguard our traditions for future generations.
0: Story number four. A UN official has called for an immediate arms embargo on Haiti and the deployment of an international force to combat gang violence in the country, as reported by The Guardian. The call comes after the killings of over 200 gang members in recent months. The official William O'Neill, who is an expert on human rights in Haiti, described the country as bruised by violence, misery, fear, and suffering, and stated that the survival of the nation is at stake. O'Neill also highlighted the absence of government and the impact it has had on people's access to basic necessities, such as water, food, and health care. He also expressed concern about the increase in sexual violence and called for action to address the issue. The ongoing violence in Haiti has led to mounting civil violence between gangs and a vigilante movement known as B.W.A. Kale. O'Neill emphasized the need for an international force to restore freedom of movement and urged for an arms embargo, particularly on weapons from the U.S. Several U.N. officials and Haiti's prime minister have previously called for a deployment of an international force. But the UN Security Council has not taken action. O'Neill also criticized the repatriation methods used for migrants, citing concerns about human rights violations and trafficking. Tell you what, Linda. This situation in Haiti, it's just horrifying. I mean, the whole city of Port-au-Prince is practically run by gangs. It's like the Wild West down there. And the impact on the people, it's just heartbreaking. You've got a total breakdown of government services, a rise in sexual violence, and people living in constant fear.
1: Yes, Mark, it's incredibly distressing. The UN's call for an arms embargo and the deployment of an international force is a desperate measure to try and restore some semblance of order. But it's not the first time we've seen this approach. Remember the US and UN interventions in the past? They've had a controversial record, to say the least.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's a real Catch-22. On one hand, you've got a country in chaos where innocent people are suffering, but on the other hand, foreign intervention can often lead to resentment and further conflict. And then there's the whole issue of national sovereignty. It's a tough call, no doubt about it.
1: Indeed, Mark. And let's not forget the vigilante movement, Bois Kale, that's emerged in response to the gang violence. It's a stark reflection of the failure of Haiti's judicial system. But it's also led to a series of lynchings and further violence— It's a vicious cycle.
0: Yeah, Linda, it's a real mess. I mean, when you've got citizens taking the law into their own hands because they've lost faith in the system, that's a sign of a country in deep trouble. But I gotta say, I'm not sure an arms embargo and international force is the answer. It seems like a Band-Aid solution to a much deeper problem. What Haiti needs is a functioning government and a strong, independent judiciary.
1: I couldn't agree more, Mark. But achieving that is easier said than done. The murder of President Jovenel Moïse in 2021 has only exacerbated the instability and chaos. The international community needs to support Haiti in a way that empowers its people and institutions rather than imposing solutions from the outside. It's a complex and challenging situation.
0: Story number five, the veracity of a key document in a major LGBTQ plus rights case before the U.S. Supreme Court has been called into question. The case, 303 Creative LLC v. Alanis, centers around a challenge to a Colorado law that prohibits public-serving businesses from discriminating against gay people. The suit involves a website designer, Lori Smith, who refuses to provide her services for gay weddings due to religious objections. Smith's lawyers produced a copy of an inquiry allegedly sent by a gay man named Stewart in 2016, requesting her services for his upcoming wedding. However, Stewart denies ever sending the message and claims it is fraudulent. The existence of the request is significant in establishing harm suffered by Smith and her standing to bring the suit. The revelation of a falsified request may not have a significant legal impact, but it could affect public perception of claims made by Christian business owners who argue religious persecution. The Supreme Court is expected to issue a ruling on the case soon. According to The Guardian, the veracity of a key document in a major LGBTQ plus rights case before the U.S. Supreme Court has been called into question. Can you believe this, Linda? Lori Smith, a Christian graphic artist, is being accused of falsifying an email request just to challenge the Colorado law prohibiting discrimination against gay people. It seems like a bit of a stretch to me. I mean, she's got her religious beliefs and she's standing up for them. That's her right.
1: Yes, Mark, I see your point. But it's not just about her religious beliefs. It's about the potential harm she could be causing to others. If the email was indeed fabricated, it's not just a simple case of standing up for one's beliefs. It's about manipulating the system to further a personal agenda, and that's where I have a problem.
0: I get that, Linda. But we also have to consider the fact that she might have genuinely received that email. It's possible Stuart's identity was misused by someone else. It's a complex situation, and we can't jump to conclusions based on limited information.
1: Absolutely, Mark. It's a complex issue indeed. But let's not forget the larger picture here. The case is about a law designed to protect LGBTQ plus individuals from discrimination. If the evidence is falsified, it could potentially undermine the integrity of such laws. And that's a serious concern.
0: True, Linda, but we can't overlook the importance of religious freedom either. It's a delicate balance, and it's crucial that we respect both sides. This case, it's a real test of our ability to reconcile differing values and rights.
1: Indeed, Mark. But at the end of the day, it's about fairness and equality for all, regardless of their sexual orientation or religious beliefs. And that's a principle we should all stand by.
0: That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.